I can see some of you are distracted by my artwork this morning already. Um, but before I go there, make sure uh, the kids know that there's a kids program that's uh, going on right now, so you're dismissed if you consider yourself uh, a kid. Um, over the next few weeks, um, we'll be looking at, um, we're taking a little break today from Jonah, but we're going to get back to that not next week, but the following two weeks. Um, next week, uh, Tom Clock is going to come and, and bring the word for us, and uh, I just really encourage you, uh, come, come and support him in that, not, not just because it's one of our own, but because uh, it's God's word, and uh, we're going to hear from the Lord, and I am a pretty uh, relaxed guy, but I have a few pet peeves. One is about uh, Comic Sans font, but the other is when the regular pastor's out of town and people decide not to come to church because someone else is preaching, uh, that, that uh, grates on me because uh, we have one faith, one word of God, and, uh, and multiple voices. So uh, I hope that you're here next week. Um, so after Tom, then after two more weeks in Jonah, then we're going to be uh, looking at the book of First Kings and then Second Kings. So just to... Uh, just to let you know what's coming down the road. But before that, since it is Mother's Day, I thought I would tell a story that I read as, as a wee lad, and my mother probably read it to me. And it's called, Are You My Mother? by P.D. Eastman. Are you familiar with this story? You've read it? Some of you have read it? That's very good. I could tell. So it, this story is about a little hatchling bird that we see there. His mother, uh, thinking her egg will stay in the nest where she left it, she leaves her egg alone and flies off to find food. Well, the baby bird hatches and does not understand where his mother is, so he goes to look for her. He's unable to fly, so he walks. And in his search, he asks a kitten. He asks, are you my mother? And it goes on, uh, he asks a hen, a dog, a cow, if there is mother, but none of them are. Refusing to give up, he sees an old car, which he realizes is certainly not his mother. In desperation, the hatchling calls out to a boat and a plane, and neither respond. And at last climbs onto the teeth of an enormous power shovel. And the power shovel belches, do you know what it belches? Snort, that's right, Emily knows. From its exhaust stack, and uh, the bird cried out, You are not my mother. You are a snort. And as the machine shudders and grinds into motion, he cannot escape. I want my mother, he shouts. And at that moment, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, the snort drops the hatchling into his nest, and his mother returns. And they are united, and with much delight, the baby bird recounts to his mother the adventures he, is, he just had. So that is the story of Are You My Mother by P.D. Eastman. And today's message is going to ask the same question, is, who is my mother? Uh, it's the question that Jesus posed to his followers. Who is my mother? And it seems like a curious question, but, uh, but it's what we're going to address today. And we're going to be in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 3. There's nothing quite like mom. There's nothing quite like family. Uh, some families are an absolute delight. Some families are an angry snort. But whatever your experience is with your here and now family, uh, we're going to talk about an invitation into God's forever family. Maybe you have no family. 
Maybe you have the ideal family and you think, I got all the family I need. Or maybe you have a difficult family and you think, I have more family than I need. But whatever the case, uh, this is our main uh, theme of the passage today, is that being part of Jesus' family is what we really desperately need. It's what you need, it's what I need, it's what we all need. In fact, being part of Jesus' family answers the most fundamental uh, questions or the most fundamental needs that we grasp after, that we search after in life. And I suppose some of these are here. Um, Secure identity, unconditional acceptance, this covenant commitment, this unbroken relationship. These are all found by being part of of Jesus' family. Secure identity, you know, we see um, this massive search for identity, to fit, to belong. Um, It's it's real clear in in grade school and in, in high school, junior high, but, uh, but we do it all our lives. <laughs> we struggle to, to fit. Unconditional acceptance. Okay, when you're a four-year-old, you could scribble some junk on a piece of paper, and uh, it will get framed. It will go on the fridge. It will go on the wall. And then sometime in life, you realize, oh, um, I have to do something impressive to be accepted. I have to impress my my coach. I have to impress my teacher. I have to impress uh, my boss, whoever it might be, to have, uh, to have uh, be accepted in that role. Or this covenant commitment. Uh, we live in a culture that's all about contracts. <laughs> you do this for me, and I'll do this for you, rather than a covenant. And even marriage has been shifting from covenant vows to, to a contract uh, relationship. And finally, we really, deep down, want unbroken relationships. We live in a culture where relationships fall apart, whether it's from just people parting ways or families breaking apart or through the loss of a loved one through, through death. But being part of Jesus' family, even death is just the entrance to more life. And so these things that we just desire and crave and run all different ways looking for, they are found in being part of Jesus' family. So we're going to be in uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 31 to 35 of Mark. Uh, This is real early in the gospel, obviously just chapter 3. And uh, this was written by uh, Peter's traveling companion. So imagine the the human that probably knew Jesus the most, spent the most time with him, uh, Peter. And then he spends all this traveling time with Mark. Uh, Mark could have filled a library of information about Jesus. But he chose these particular things to teach us something about Jesus. He's teaching us, I think, two things. This is what Jesus is like, and it's not what you thought. And this is what it means to follow Jesus, and it's also not what you thought. And this theme is carried throughout uh, the book of Mark. This morning we'll answer these questions. What does it mean to be part of Jesus' family? And how do I receive the benefits of being part of Jesus' family that we, we just looked at? And this will be in the, the framework of answering this four characteristics of those whom Jesus considers family. So here's the scene that's happening as we, we get to verse 31, uh, the setup. Uh, Jesus' birth family, his natural family, he, they thought he was uh, largely crazy at this time. So uh, some of us can relate. And then there's uh, the scribes, they thought he was uh, demonic. The general public had no idea what to think. 
Meanwhile, Jesus has this growing following. And as he returned to town, this crowd surrounded him to hear him teach. They're, they're pressed around him in a room, and his family shows up. And that's where we start our passage today. As I read the, just this short paragraph, uh, look for anything that's, that's surprising or jarring or confusing about this uh, little encounter of Jesus and his family. It says this. And his mother and his brothers came, and they were standing outside. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said, uh, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Wow. So when I read this the first time and started thinking about it, two things really struck me. I don't know if these same things struck you. First of all, Jesus seems really rude. <laughs> we don't think of Jesus as rude, and that's what it comes across to me when I, when I read that. His family comes, and he just kind of blows them off. But when we study the culture of that time and how they viewed family, we realize it's actually a lot worse than we think. <laughs> Because family was everything in this culture. Um, I got a chance to go to uh, Israel. Callie's nodding her head. She's like, I've seen that. And this is an insula around where, uh, where Jesus grew up. And uh, so here's kind of how uh, it worked. You know, the, the home, home life, building houses, etc. A family would build this, this home. And then when one of the sons would get married uh, or get engaged that someone would start building a little, um, a little add-on to the house, and when he was finished, he'd bring his wife there. And then this just keeps happening. The house keeps growing, growing with all these extra little rooms. So family, instead of here where we're like, we'll take off, uh, here that just it's keeps clumping together. And I'm sure this is the imagery that uh, Jesus talks about when he says, uh, in my father's house there's many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's betrothed himself to us, and he's going to heaven to you know, make more rooms in his father's house to bring us there with him. So family is huge. So if this passage seems a little, you know, abrupt to us, the original readers would have been, you know, what in the world is happening here? The second thing that jumped out at me is all this language of insiders versus outsiders. Who's on the, who's on the outside? His family. And on the inside is, is this crowd of people. Uh, verse 31, the mother and brothers are outside. Verse 32, the crowd is inside. Verse 31, the mothers and brothers are standing. Verse 32, the crowd is sitting. Again, the mother and brothers, they had to send a message through an intermediary while the crowd was just right there at his feet. Verse 32, it again says the mother and brothers were outside and the crowd is in a circle all around Jesus. And finally, the mother and brothers, they get no response that's recorded. But Jesus directly addresses the crowd. Really kind of fascinating. I think Mark is telling this story and shouting this to us. There are two kinds of people in the world, insiders and outsiders, and don't be left outside. He's making a big exclamation point about that. So who is Jesus' family? 
Who does he consider his family? And he answers that in verse 35, which says, Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. If you do what God wants, you're in God's family. So that begs the question of, what does God want? (laughs) What is his will? And so that's what we're going to explore in these next minutes together. First of all, whom does Jesus consider family? Those whom Jesus considers family, they believe in him. They put their trust in him. They receive him as he truly is. This phrase, whoever does the will of God, it makes me think, well, most religious people think that's exactly what they're doing. They think the will of God is this list of things, and uh, as close as we follow that list, then I'm in. I'm an insider. But the problem is the scribes and Pharisees were largely doing that, but they were, for the most part, left outside. We're just in chapter 3 of Mark. So far in the gospel story in Mark, um, Jesus has only told people to do one thing. And can anybody guess what he told them to do? He told them to believe. <laughs> Mark 1, 15, Jesus came saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A little fancier language than I could say, um, commentator France He says, the only general injunction of Jesus, which Mark has so far recorded, it is that call which both scribes and the family have in different ways rejected, and doing so have put themselves outside the will of God. So we have this crowd inside, we have family outside, we have scribes outside, and uh, the problem is the ones outside have not believed, put their trust in Jesus. When I was... um, at Emmanuel Faith, part of my role was uh, working with people who were getting baptized and people who wanted to join the church. And so I listened to a lot of people share their, their story of faith, how they came to be a follower of Jesus. And there's two stories that I heard often uh, in different words, but they had this same sound. One is, I grew up in a Christian home and I've always been a Christian, as if it was uh, inherited. Um, but where in this story was Jesus' natural family. They they were outside. So it's not a who you're related to uh, question. The other story I hear is some version of this. I was doing all sorts of terrible things. I had some crisis moment, and now I try to do good things. I've heard that story a lot of times in different ways. Trying to do good things is maybe what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were where? On the outside. It's about... Believing, putting our trust in Jesus is the first thing God desires of us. It's the first thing he, he wills of us. So I feel like I should just pause for a moment, a little disclaimer, and, and get Jesus off the hook, not that I have to do that for him. But, uh, but especially on Mother's Day, I'm not diminishing family. <laughs> Jesus is not diminishing family, although it, it's a very uh, uh, harsh words he has to say here. If we look even just at the rest of Mark, we see him elevating uh, family relationships. Um, We see in in Mark 7, uh, people were doing this thing where they look for this cultural loophole where they didn't really have to obey their parents and honor them. And he's like, no, that doesn't work. Look it up in Mark 7. Mark 10, people were trying to find a way to get out of their marriage vows. He's like, nope, that's till death do you part. 
and uh, that doesn't work either. And so Jesus is elevating family, and I hear you turning there right now, so you just bookmark that, come back to it. Around Mother's Day tea, you could look at those passages. So uh, being in God's family, being in Jesus' family, we should be the best uh, children, (laughs) the best spouses, as well as the best neighbors, the best employees, employers, etc. So above all, and first of all, being in Jesus' family means that we believe in him. And I'm going to come back to this verse probably a few times that just captures it. The beaming of John, but as many as he received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So those who believe in Jesus are the ones who become part of his family. But lest we think it's just an intellectual assent to saying, okay, yeah, I believe that. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Or yeah, if I had to say yes or no, yeah. I, I believe these things. Um, Jesus reminds us that even the demons believe these things, but they have not uh, turned their life over to Christ. James 2.19 says, The demons believe in God and they shudder. Mark 1.24, just earlier, says, The demons call Jesus the Holy One of God. I apologize, I just lost connection here. I'm going to be back in just a second. Or, you know what, Adriana, can you just track for me and just do your best? I might, I might uh, make it difficult on you, but, but we'll just roll with it. Technical difficulties. Scratch that last uh, couple sentences in the, in the manuscript. So first of all, being in Jesus' family means we believe in him. And second of all, being in Jesus' family means we dwell with him. We reside with him. Verse 32 says, the crowd was sitting around him. Um, So, in very simple terms, the difference between those who are considered family and those who were not are because some just physically, intentionally stayed with Jesus. They were where he was. They dwelt with him. It's a physical description here, but I think it's also a posture of the heart. Um, real quick, just there's a couple words, the standing and sitting here, which obviously in, the, in this uh, account mean that some people were standing up physically and some people were sitting down. But each of these words has a, a connotation that goes beyond that. Um, and I'd like to suggest that this is true for us. Standing also means to be uh, like to hel- hold a, or hold a firm belief to be unshaken in your opinion. So the family was standing unshaken in their opinion about Jesus outside. Meanwhile, sitting also means to dwell or to settle down, to reside somewhere. And so those physically sitting around Jesus had plopped themselves down and just resided there. They, they were comfortable in Jesus' presence. They, um, they were happy to be there. Jesus calls this uh, abiding in John 15. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So if we don't just spend time with Jesus and, and cling to him, depend on him, soak him up, be at ease in his presence, then uh, 
we die off. We, we shrivel up and wither. Um, where we lived most recently, it got real, real hot uh, in the summer. And I can tell some of you are real warm here. For Cambria, this room is a little warm. Apologize for that. But we're talking really warm. And uh, one day I went and I cut a bunch of things. I was kind of pruning haphazardly. And then I abandoned it. I was going to come back a little later. And those things I had just cut maybe an hour before were literally dried up and black and withered. They just, you know, without the moisture from the ground, they just died and were, were crusty. And that's what it's like when we do not dwell with Jesus. When we don't spend time with him, we don't soak up his presence so what, what does it look like to just dwell in his presence? I, I think one thing is it's this posture of openness throughout the whole day. Some have called this practicing the presence of God, just this awareness of, yeah, God, God is here with me in this. I can talk to him at any time. I, I invite him into my decisions. I'm just aware of his presence. It's uh, just being with Jesus because he's everywhere and acknowledging that. Uh, I think it also means... We schedule intentional appointments with Jesus. You know, maybe that's first thing in the morning. This is my schedule with Jesus. We, we choose to just be with him in intentional ways. I think it also means we just don't hide from him, like we talked about Jonah a couple weeks ago, trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, running a million ways except into our Lord's arms. So it's this habit of just wanting to be in Jesus' presence. And those people who just love to be with Jesus, Jesus says, hey, this is my, this is my family. <laughs> this, this is who I consider family. These are my mothers and brothers and my sisters. It's my family. Okay, believe, um, abide with him. But also, three, those whom Jesus considers family, they embrace his family. This is where it gets really interesting. So far, um, this is pretty comfortable. (laughs) When you receive Jesus, you receive his family. It seems simple enough until we start thinking about who else is in his family. And uh, don't look around the room. I think in Mark, uh, this comes out real clear of how uh, this scene is kind of outrageous. Because in just the few chapters leading up to this, uh, we're introduced to some people who were uh, part of this crowd, part of this family. Um, Starting in the first chapter, verse 16, uh, some peasant fishermen were part of his family. Nothing wrong with fishermen, I'm just saying who was there. Uh, In verse 23, there is someone who had been uh, demon-possessed. Verse 40 of the first chapter, there was a leper. You know, someone with a... um, with an infectious disease that has uh, a cultural stigma to it. We might think of uh, sometimes like a, the AIDS epidemic or something like that. Get that kind of imagery in your mind. Um, the next chapter, we're introduced to tax collectors, which is not like the IRS now. It's more like um, government-sanctioned uh, crime bosses is what it kind of amounted to. They were making money off of, uh, off of other people in really uneth- unethical ways. Uh, verse uh, 15 of chapter 2, it's just his blanket statement of various notorious sinners. It's like oh, all kinds of sinners, they were there. In chapter 3, verse 19, we're told that the betrayer was there. Uh, Judas was with this. So this is, this is the crowd that was pressed around Jesus. And uh, for those who are germaphobes here, 
um, you want to probably not read uh, verse 10 of chapter 3. It says this. Those with afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. So imagine all these people who are, are sick and have all these ailments, and they're just crowded, pressed all around Jesus. And, and he's like, yeah, this is, this is my family. If you want to be part of my family, then you embrace my family. I went through this kind of a, this what-if story in my mind. What if Jesus called you up or texted you or whatever, however you, know, however you talk to Jesus, and he invited you to an afternoon uh, in a limousine ride. And, uh, hey, let's just go spend some time. You know, we'll talk, and, and you get to spend, uh, you know, afternoon with Jesus. And, of course, all of us would say, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. And uh, so he picks you up. You, you start driving off, and you're driving down the highway here, headed south. And, and he just says, oh, let me, let me pick up a few of my friends. First, before you leave Cambria, he goes by uh, the pastor's meeting and picks up some pastors, you know, some, some scribes, some scholarly, biblical scholar people. And they hop in, and the conversation gets kind of interesting. You start talking about theology and whatever. Then heads down to Morro Bay and swings by and picks up some fishermen off the dock. You know, they just got off the boat, and they have some scales and some fish stink on them, and come on in, crowd in. Then you head by that gun range down there. You pick up a shifty-eyed guy named Simon. He has a, a God, Guts, and Guns tattoo and a Don't Tread on Me hat, and he has a 9 millimeter on his hip, and he jumps in, and the conversation gets more interesting. And you swing by the hospital in, in San Luis, and you pick up a, an AIDS patient. And then you go by county uh, health, and you pick up some, some mental health patients. Then you just head right into downtown, and you, you pick up a homeless drunk and a couple of prostitutes, and now the, the limo is quite full. It's packed in there, and you're beginning to get a sense of what this room was probably like that Jesus was in. It smells like old fish and sweat and cheap perfume and just really wild kind of conversations going on, and uh, you're crammed in there, and uh, what do you do? Do you leap out that window? (laughs) Do you run for it, or do you say, "Uh, Jesus, if this is your family, then it's, it's my family. And, and embrace that. I went to visit a guy in the hospital. I'd never met him before. I just heard a little of his story. Uh, enough that I, I looked him up on the internet to hear a little more of his story. And um, I may have shared this before, but he had just done some very, very terrible things uh, in his life. And, and I was on my way down there. It was hard for me. I had to have a conversation with God <laughs> about going and making this visit. Just, uh, God, I don't really feel like doing this. Um, he was in this uh, infectious disease um, area, and uh, um, I had to suit up to to meet with him. And I asked him as he started telling me some of his story. His body's just totally shutting down. He's he's dying. He's a pretty young guy. And I said, uh, "Where where's God in all this?" And he poured out his heart, and he uh, I believe is a true child of God, and uh, God was really working in his life, and. Uh, I have to say, if I want to be part of God's family, this guy's family. <laughs> I have to embrace him as, as family. And uh, in spite of the things he's done, in spite of the place he's in, um, he, he's part of Jesus' family. We think sometimes, this is too much. 
It's, it's fine if I think theoretically, but then when I think about certain people, it's really hard. And Jesus says, no, if you are part of my family, then you, you take all of it. John 13, 35 says the mark of those who are in Jesus' family, the identifying characteristic of those who are disciples of Jesus is this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That crazy family of Jesus that we're all part of, uh, you've got to love each other. So those whom Jesus considers family, they embrace his family. Okay, finally. Number four, those whom Jesus considers family, they listen and respond to his words. And I think it's fairly obvious the reason people were together in that room, crowded in there, was to listen to Jesus' words, to hear him teach. Uh, just before this, in chapter 2, it describes this uh, kind of a similar crowded scene. and says, many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So Jesus would go to these places, and people would cram in to hear him, him teach. So being part of Jesus' family means we should be hanging on his every word, responding to it, uh, heeding it. The, the paragraph right after this it launches into the familiar uh, parable of the sower, um, which just briefly, I think, continues this theme of insiders and outsiders that we see in Mark 3. Uh, at the conclusion of that parable in verse 11, Jesus said to them in Mark 4:11, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. In other words, I think the message of this parable is this. If you're family, Jesus' family, then you will understand Jesus' teaching. And if you understand his teaching, then you'll heed what he says. You'll do it. If you're family, you'll hear it and listen and understand, and then you'll, you'll do it. Uh, we're like little seedlings that sprout from the seeds of, uh, that, that God sows. Um, you could tell which seeds landed in good soil uh, simply because they grow. People who are listening to, responding, living out God's words are the ones who are insiders. They're the ones who are growing. That's how you could tell who's in Jesus' family. So whether you encounter his voice in the black and white of Scripture or in that still small voice or in the general revelation in, in, the, in nature, in creation, Whatever it is, we need to look at that and say, that's from God, and respond to it, and just do it. <laughs> Live it. Live it out. Okay, I don't want to be misled because I'm listing these things that are characteristics of those in the family of Jesus. But these are not all prerequisites for being in the family of Jesus. Because the scribes and Pharisees, they were obsessed with doing the right thing, but they were outside, right? They were stuck outside. So let me clarify. Believing in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, embracing his family, obeying Jesus, these all describe what people look like who are in Jesus' family. But it's only belief that's the prerequisite. That's where it all begins. Uh, again, just going back to John 1.12, lots of people rejected him, but to those who did receive him, those who did believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's how you get into God's family. 
If you're a child of God, then you have a privileged place of being able to know and understand what God wants. So you'd be a fool not to do it, not to heed it, not to obey it. Okay, so let's, let's just put this together as we, we wrap things up. We all have these deep longings that we talked about before of uh, this secure identity where we really know who we are and where we belong, this unconditional acceptance where no matter what we've done, um, we're, we're accepted by Christ, we're accepted into his family. This covenant commitment that's not a, a contract of, well, if you do this, I'll do this, but it's, a, it's based on a, a covenant with God himself. In this unbroken relationship where death itself just brings us into ever deeper relationship. See, these are the things we really want. And all these longings are only truly, truly satisfied by living in Jesus' family. So the way we enter into his family is by believing in him, receiving him as he really is. And then when we receive him, we have this access to him that we never had before. And so we take advantage of that access and we, we dwell with him. We just, yeah, the, the relationship with God is, is fixed. And now I can just enjoy him and be with him and dwell and abide with him. And then when we're with Jesus, we realize, oh, these other people are here too. <laughs> and I embrace them as well. And then finally, with believing hearts, we're able to receive his word and we say, whatever you say, God, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to respond to it. And that is what it means to be in Jesus' family. Maybe you've been running 100 miles an hour looking for um, these four things in a previous slide that, uh, and looking for them other places <laughs> and, and coming up short. These are only found ultimately by being in his family. Maybe you've poured yourself into something you thought was going to give you security or significance, but it turned out in the end it was really just an angry snort. <laughs> it, was a, it was a letdown. It was not what you really needed. So today the invitation is wide open. Believe him, receive him, embrace his family, abide with him, and just do what he says. Uh, live as an obedient follower of the master. So just our final challenge in closing is to simply embrace Jesus and become family. Just receive him as he really is and enjoy all those eternal benefits of being in the family of our, our Savior, in that forever family with, uh, with our eternal God. And I am so thankful that he let people like me into that uh, elite family of God. And that invitation is wide open to all who will trust in him. Uh, let's give him thanks for that right now. Lord Jesus, I am just so thankful that you, you modeled a, a love that's, that's hard to comprehend. And uh, you have invited us into your family with all of our, our flaws, with all of our shortcomings, and yet your perfection covers it all. Your sacrifice uh, is the reason it can all be forgiven. And we can once again have a, have a restored relationship with the, the triune God. And we are just forever humbled um, by that. God, we love you and are thankful in Christ's name. Amen.